Well, good morning, Joy Church. How are you guys doing today? Happy Sunday. So good to be with you. Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us as we continue our series, Journey Through James. Has anybody been enjoying this series as we've been in it? I have loved it. I have been so challenged. I shared a couple weeks ago um, that Pastor Steve at the beginning of the year just said we want to really tune our hearts into hearing the Word of God and um, submitting ourselves to the authority of the Word and hearing it and learning it and obeying it. And so what better book than the book of James? This is week four. So if you're just joining us, you're not that far behind in the series. It's kind of like on Netflix. You start right in the middle. You can always go back on Facebook or YouTube and, and get caught up. Um, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Steve has been teaching us on how to overcome the trials in our life. Is anybody encouraged by that? I know I was. How do we walk through trials well? And maybe I'm getting them mixed up. I think last week was on temptations, that trials hit us from outside of us, but those temptations come from inside of us. And it was easy with the trials. What about those temptations? Then it was, uh-oh, this is bad stuff coming from inside of me. Um, but really learning how to overcome those. And today we're going to finish out the rest of James chapter 1. So congratulations, you've almost finished one whole chapter working verse by verse. You can give yourself a pat on the back or a round of applause. We're going to go to the book of James chapter 1. And today we're going to look at verses 19 through 27. And I really believe God has something um, just so great for us this morning in His Word. So if you're there with me or we have the cheat screen, um, I guess I shouldn't call it the cheat screen, but uh, the helper screen right behind me. We're going to read all together just James verse, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and then see what God has for us in His Word this morning. Here's what it says. He said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We could just all go home after that. That was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weak meekness, not with weakness, with meekness, the implanted word. Receive the word of God with meekness, which is able to save your souls. And here's where it's going to, it's all good, but here's where James ramps it up. But don't just hear it. Don't just receive it. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a, what's that word again right there? But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you didn't do your Bible reading this morning, I'm helping you out. I'm doing it for you. Here we go. Two more verses. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Hear this. This is strong words. This person's religion is worthless. But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows and their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to pray and then dive in this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that every time that we read, read your word, you're speaking to us. And Father, we come this morning as your children with open ears and open hearts. Father, would you speak to us? God, we want to do what we literally just read. We don't want to just hear your word, but God, we want to receive it. And we want to walk out of this place living it out and doing it. Father, I just pray for every single one of us here. The Lord, that we would be changed by your word, that we would not, God, be like that foolish man that, that gazes at the mirror but leaves the same and doesn't change anything. But Father, we would look at your word this morning and be changed. So we invite you, Lord, to speak to us. 
Lord Jesus, we invite you to change our hearts and to change our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place to work inside of us. Lord, every one of us, we want to grow more and more like you. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Now, there was a video that came out. I think it was nine years ago now. It felt kind of like yesterday to me. And it was this tagline. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you, maybe you watched the video. And it said, why I hate religion but love Jesus. It's kind of a, a uh, shocking claim, right? I hate religion. If you didn't know, Christianity is a religion. There are some major religions of the world, Judaism or Islam or Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism. And a, a guy named, by the name of Jefferson Bethke came out with this video that said, why I hate religion but love Jesus. Um, in this video, I mean, you can actually hear his testimony. He thought that it would only get a couple thousand views from his friends at college. And within 48 hours, it already had um, 7 million views. And he was shocked. He thought, oh my gosh, people all over the world are watching this video. And he had no idea. Um, within f um, just a short time, it had like over 20 million views. If you go today and you look at that video, you'll see it has over 34 million views. This video making this claim of why this man hates religion but loves Jesus. You know, immediately, overnight, he's on every major news news station, uh, you know, CNN and Fox or all the different, like, uh, I don't know the daytime television shows, you have to help me out, but all of like those interview shows um, where they ask him questions. And overnight, this guy that just made this video with this topic, it just burst and the whole world really was talking about it. I remember nine years ago, I guess I was like 17, I remember it was like the thing everybody was talking about. Um, it was just famous with this idea. But is this really a biblical perspective? That we as Christians hate religion and we love Jesus. You know, if you go into the dictionary and you want to define um, religion, I'm not sure if they have this up there for you. Religion is the belief and worship of some kind of super um, power of a personal God or in kind of other religions of just a pantheon of gods. Religion is a particular system of faith. It's a way that you worship. Religion is a pursuit of interests. Um, to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Really, religion is believing in a God and seeking to know Him, seeking to be connected with Him, seeking to worship with Him. And James comes at us this morning in the Word of God, and he actually says that we as believers are not meant to hate religion and love Jesus. He says we're meant to love pure and undefiled religion. You know, the problem with that statement, why I hate religion is, and love Jesus, is it's just not a biblical one. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a tagline. Maybe you've seen it on a bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it, <clears throat> um, you know, it's talked about or it's tweeted or it's Facebook. You got excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> we were at Freedom Weekend and I was singing and shouting all weekend long and this morning my voice is, is paying the price for that. Um, what we see in the scripture, if you want to make that a, a, a biblical um, statement, if you want to kind of biblicize it, it would be why I hate fake religion or why I hate dead religion, or why I hate false religion, but love Jesus. But we see something in the scripture, and this is what James is getting at us this morning in the passage I just read. He wants every single one of us to have a living, active faith in God. He wants every single one of us to have a beautiful, a pure, and undefiled religion before God our Father, which is pleasing to God which is honoring to him, which brings him great glory. And what we'll see James teaches us is the real thing, real religion that honors God isn't just singing songs and doing church like we're doing this morning. That's part of it. It's a beautiful part. 
It's an important part, but real religion is reaching out and loving others and caring for those around us. I pray this morning that we would love the real thing. You know, this sermon this morning is called, I don't know if they have the title up there, Real-Igen, R-E-A-L in all caps, not just religion, but that we would be people who live with real religion, a real living faith. Now, Jesus always got himself in trouble. If you remember, Jesus was James' big brother. We just read some words from Jesus' little brother, James. Now, James was a human like us, so I wasn't God, but Jesus was the God-man. But Jesus kind of always got himself in trouble for going against fake religion, for going against false religion, for going against this idea that I can just pray the prayers, sing the songs, and go through the motions with my body on the outside, and that's going to make God happy. That I, if I just claim to be a, a follower of God, if I just, you know, put on this outward show, that's all that God desires. And Jesus was pretty adamant that that was not his desire. What we'll see is this is actually a thread that goes through the whole Bible that God has always been after the hearts of his people. God has always wanted the depths of us. It's easy to put on a religious show. It's easy to just give kind of, you know, in the words of David, something that doesn't cost us. Well, God, I'll, I'll pray the prayer. God, I'll sing the song. But God has always wanted something that's more real. God has always wanted something that's deeper. In Matthew chapter 15, this was one of Jesus' battles against the Pharisees. One of Jesus' battles against people who are living in fake religion or false religion. And hear what Jesus said. He said, you hypocrites. Do you wish I just got up this morning that's why I started this sermon? No. <laughs> He said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And hear what he says. This is really what James just said. In vain do they worship me. Do you remember James said that, that those that just, that hurt, that don't bridle their tongue, that don't live out real religion, he said their worship, James uses the word, is worthless. You know, I don't want my life before God to be worthless. I don't want my worship before God to be worthless. And James is teaching us how to not have that. But Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees. He says, in vain do you worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you know what the problem was with these Pharisees? The problem was they were super religious, but they were using their religion as a way to get out of actually doing what God desired. In this example, the Pharisees had kind of found a loophole that if we just say all of our money is God's and it's not actually ours, we don't have to take care of anybody else. We don't have to give to the poor, and we don't have to take care of our parents. When our parents are older, and when the law requires us to take care of them, they found a loophole to be religious, but not capture the heart of God. And Jesus said, you're claiming to worship me. You're claiming to do these things in the name of God, but it's just your lips. Your lips are proclaiming this is for God, but you're missing the heart of it. Your heart is far from me. This is that fake or false religion that James is going against. No, I think this was the heart of Jefferson Bethke when he made that video. I think what he was trying to get at is why I hate the fake thing, why I hate the false thing, why I hate just the facade of religion, but not the real thing. But here's what we're going to learn today. There's a real thing that's beautiful. There's a real religion that came from the heart of God that's the most incredible thing on planet earth, and that's what James calls us to live in. But this theme goes all throughout the scriptures that God wants the real thing. You go to the book of 1 Samuel 15, there's a story about Saul. That could be its own sermon. And Saul got, um, the Lord had commanded him to, to wipe out all these people and just fully, fully destroy everything there. But Saul thought, you know what? In the name of God, I'm going to keep these things for myself. 
I'm going to keep the things that are valuable for me. And the prophet Samuel comes and says he hears the animals, he hears the things that Saul was supposed to destroy, that God commanded him to destroy. And Samuel says, what happened? And Saul, again, uses religion as an excuse to not obey God. He said, well, I thought that it would be better to save these things. I thought it would be better not to actually fully obey God. And you know what the Lord said? The Lord, Samuel prophesied, is the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel's getting at something here that God has always wanted. He wants our obedience. He wants our heart. He wants us to cut through just the outward religious show and he wants everything that we are. He wants the real thing. There's so many great scriptures all throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Um, I got to go quick in the book of Micah. He says, how can I come before God and bow, before my, bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with burnt offerings, with calves? He goes on and on and on. Shall I even give my firstborn son like the pagans do? But listen to what the prophet says. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The Lord is saying, I don't need all these songs and all these, these wild um, ways that you want to show me worship. You could sacrifice all the animals. You could go through all these religious motions, but I've already told you what I want. I want your heart. I want your obedience. I want the real thing. I think we all know we could come to church on a Sunday and go through the religious actions and God doesn't have our heart, right? And what James is doing this morning is he's cutting through that and he's saying God wants the real thing. The book of Amos, it's a similar thing. He gets even more wild. I, you know, should I give, you know, thousands and thousands of, of offerings and sacrifices? And God says, no, I want justice. I want you to live this out. I want it to be reflected in your life. So what is, is this religion? What is it that God desires? Religion is thus a comprehensive word for the specific ways in which a heart relationship to God is expressed in our lives. So religion isn't a bad thing. I would encourage us as a church that we would not use the phrase, I hate religion, right? But that we would say, you know what? And we're going to learn about the real thing in a minute. <clears throat> we would say, what is religion? At its heart, religion is when you believe in God the way that you live that out. You know, what is our religion? As Christians, it's through prayer, it's through worship, it's through fasting, it's through serving others, it's through feeding the hungry and helping the sick and visiting those that are in prison. If you get rid of those things, we don't have anything left, right? But James wants us to not have vain religion. He doesn't want us to have dead religion or empty. He wants us to have the real thing. Now, I want to help you remember this this morning. I need four of your fingers. You've got to donate four of them to me. And here's what James is going to teach us this morning through his word. He teaches us that real religion can be hard. H-A-R-D. Um, now, you, didn't need, you don't need to win a spelling bee to spell this word, okay? I think you're going to do okay with the four-letter word. He says that real religion is hearing the word, and here's the A, and receiving the word and doing the word. Can you remember that? Real religion can be hard. It means we hear the word and receive the word and do the word, okay? Now, I had that... Add the A in there because HRD, herd, doesn't really fit as well, does it? Real religion can be hard. It's not just that outer show. It's everything that we are from the inside out. Now, what we just read, James has some incredible things to say about the Word of God. He says the Word of God is able to save our souls. Right? He said that we receive with meekness the implanted word which has the ability to save our souls. As we talk about the word of God this morning, we're saved 
um, fully by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But the Bible also uses this imagery that we're changed day by day by the word of God. And it's preparing us for the day that Jesus comes back and finds us holy. And our ultimate salvation eternally comes when Christ returns for us and we enter into heaven. Does that make sense? So the Bible is that work by which we're sanctified and we're purified. And James can say, the word of God as it works in you will lead to the eventual full salvation of your soul. If you need a good reason to study the word and love it and memorize it and live it out, it's that it will save you eternally. Number two, the word of God brings us freedom. I love this. We were just at Freedom Weekend and I feel so free. Anybody else that went feel free? If you see some people that are fired up this morning, it's probably because they were at Freedom Weekend or maybe they look tired. Buy them a cup of coffee. James says that this is the perfect law of liberty, right? The purpose of the Word of God is not meant to bind us. It's not meant to be a heavy legalistic yoke that comes on us. James says actually the Word of God comes to free us and bring us liberty. Now the lie is that I'm free on my own and the word of God comes to bind me or it comes to kind of hem me. And that's not the truth. We know that when we walk in sin, when we walk according to our own ways, that it leads to bondage. But when we walk according to the word of God, what does it do? It produces liberty in our lives. And the more and more that we submit ourselves to the word of God is the more and more that we will experience freedom. And last but not least, James tells us that those that do the word will be blessed. So three benefits that come from the word, it'll save our souls, it'll bring us freedom, and it will bring blessing on our lives. That's enough for me to want to read and do the word. What about you? But what does this process look like? Number one, it starts with hearing the word. This pure religion before God, living the life that he's called us to live, being the men and women that he has called us to be, it starts with hearing the word. That's your first letter. Do you remember that? H, hear the word. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Um, You know, this exact scripture right here is referring even to the way that we are with one another, but it's also the posture of our heart before God. We come to the Lord first to hear. We come to the Lord first to receive. And that will be seen again even clearer in, in verse 22, that we're meant to be hearers of the word. Hearing is not a bad thing, Right? You might think from, from James, if you read it, well, hearing is bad, but doing is good. You can't do without hearing, right? Um, you have to receive the command. You have to hear it before you can do it. And the Bible actually has some really great things to say about hearing the word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our heart posture to come before the Lord to live the life he's called us to live, to experience pure and undefiled religion, it starts with that posture of hearing. You know, it starts with that posture of saying, God, before I act, before I do, you know, before I just do what makes sense to my mind, before I do what maybe I desire, we all have desires. You ever wanted to do something that wasn't good, (laughs) that wasn't right? I was on hold with an airline for four and a half hours yesterday. I wanted to do some bad things, right? (laughs) I want to take my phone and smash it and turn it into dust. You ever wanted to do something wrong? Well, honestly, if we would slow down sometimes and hear what God has for us and hear the will of the Lord for us and hear his desires for us, um, I think our doing would probably look a lot different, right? Our heart posture starts with hearing. Now, what does this look like practically? Are we every single day reading the word of God? You know, do we have that habit of daily, daily, daily being in God's word? 
You know, the reason that James probably says the hearers of the word and not just readers of the word, in our context, we should say that because all of us read it, but are we doing it? Is because in their culture, most people didn't have their own Bible and many people couldn't even read. So the way that you heard the word of God was going to the synagogue and they would read the word to you. So your devotions or growth journaling was sitting in, hearing somebody read, and then you'd, you'd, you'd write it down, or you wouldn't really write it, you just put it in your heart, right? So you could put in there, don't just be a reader of the word, be a doer of it, but it does start with reading, it does start with hearing. So how do we do this? I think a great way is daily being in the word of God. We challenge people to read through the whole word every single year. On a Bible plan, if you do it, you get to come to Pastor Steve's pizza party at the end of the year, and it's awesome. You know, I'd encourage you as we come to church every single week, that's another area where we hear the word of God. You know, are we, are we listening actively? Are we listening engaged? Are we listening passionately? You know, I'd encourage you a couple things. I'd encourage you to bring your Bible to church with you every single week. And as you hear the word of God preached, be a good Berean. Be studying. Be looking. Be taking notes. I'd encourage you to bring a notebook that you listen with the intent. I'm not just going to hear this. I'm listening with the intention of doing something. Right, James is going to say this in a minute. He says, the one who, who looks into the law of liberty, the word he uses is like passionately gazing at it. You're, you're, you're looking. You're pouring over every single detail, right? Is that the way that we're coming to church, to read the word, to hear the word? You know, I'd encourage you, you know, there are so many great Bible podcasts out there. Maybe you get some of those. For me, it's as I go for a jog or I'm working out or I'm driving in my car, I'm listening to the word of God. And you're always filling your life. So we start with hearing the word of God. But James says we don't just hear it. It's not enough just to hear it. He adds a second step, which is important. Even before we do the word, he says that we must receive the word. Now, I was really thinking about this and pondering it because I thought, Lord, why not just hear and do? What's the difference between <clears throat> hearing the word and receiving the word? And something that's fascinating is James uses the same language that his older brother, the Lord Jesus, used about how we're meant to approach the word of God. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, okay? They heard the word, but Jesus adds a second word, and accept it. So Jesus said, we hear the word, but we all know you can tell somebody something and they're not really listening. You ever done that? I'm guessing you parents, you've told your kids something, but they didn't really hear it, right? You know, hey, honey, you need to go clean your room. An hour later, is it clean? Well, I heard it, but I didn't do anything with it, right? We all know there's a big difference between hearing and then receiving it, saying, I'm going to do something with what I heard. Jesus said, those that bear fruit are those that hear the word of God, and then they receive it. You know, if a guest comes to your house, they knock on your door. You know, it's not that they're just there. Hi, happy you're here. Enjoy the porch. Enjoy the rain, right? This is Oregon. You came in the sun, but now it's snowing on you. Enjoy. It's, I'm going to welcome you in. I'm going to receive you. I'm going to accept you in my heart. When the word of God knocks at your door, do you just hear it, or is there a place for it to make a home inside of you? Is there a place for it to live inside of you? You know, James does something really, really cool. And I'm a youth pastor, so I have to use an object lesson. James gives us an object lesson that's really the same thing that Jesus says. Are you ready for it? Now, I'm not a farmer. Are there any real farmers here? My brother Riley came from a farming family, and he comes alive on the farm. Um, farmers like actually like getting out there and weeding and doing hard work in the sun. And the rest of us do it if we get a paycheck, right? <laughs> At the end of it, James does something pretty cool. Do you want to see the object lesson that he gives us right here, which is the same one that Jesus gave? James tells us that the soil is our heart, 
So I didn't bring a bunch of dirt up here because I thought I might get in trouble if I, you know, cover this stage in dirt. But if you, can, if you can use your imagination with me, James says that the soil is our heart. And the seed that's sown in our hearts is the word of God. Okay? So you don't sow seed on concrete. You don't sow seed on your carpet. You sow seed in soil, right? So James uses this example that we are to receive the implanted word of God. So in your heart, your heart is the soil. And when the word of God comes in like a seed, James says there are some weeds in your life. You guys ever done any farming or any gardening? I think the worst part of gardening is weeds, right? And James says that in every single one of our hearts, this is in verse 21, he says, we have to put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness. So when it comes to our hearts, James says there are some bad things there. There are some rocks. There are some weeds. There are some hard grounds. And what do you do when you're, when you're coming to, to do some farming, to plant some seeds? You've got to break up the fallow ground. You've got to rip out those weeds. You've got to go and get the root, right? And James uses two different words. First he says just wickedness, like that wasn't enough. Or he says, what's the word he uses right here? Filthiness. He says there are some, some sinful areas of our life, but then he uses this word which is rampant wickedness. Now, not, I guess I will be rude because James was rude. James uses this idea like you got this garden and it's a little bit out of control. He, the same way the scripture says that grace would abound more and more, he says in our hearts the sad reality is that many times wickedness is abounding more and more and more. And the example is this, in our lives we have the soil. We receive the word of God and we go to work. Okay, I'm going to, Lord, help me get rid of this habit. Okay, Lord, your word says not to be angry, so I'm going to go after this anger. Help me forgive. Lord, your word says not to lust, so I'm going to receive holiness and purity. Lord, your word says to walk in accountability, so I'm going to bring this area into the light. And the example James gives is you start to get this area of your heart really, really clean, but there's some rampant wickedness, and all of a sudden there's, uh-oh, some weed sprouted up over here. And this is my garden. I got to go after this. And so you go over here and you continue to take out those weeds. You continue to take out those sinful habits. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. Right? James is not saying we're saved because we do this. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But James says now it's time to grow up into salvation. Now it's time to walk in holiness and purity. So the soil is our heart. The seed is the word of God. Um, we're meant to go after those weeds, which is the filthiness and the rampant wickedness. But here's something that's really, really cool that James says. James says the way that we're to receive the implanted word of God is with meekness or with humility. And if the soil is our heart and the seed is the word and the weeds are the filthiness and wickedness in our life, James says as you begin to clear the sins, as we begin to clear those negative habits and cycles, James says the fertilizer that's going to cause the word of God to grow inside of us is humility. You know, if you could just imagine, I guess some fertilizer probably looks pretty nasty, right? <laughs> um, some of the stuff is like nice liquid stuff that you buy at Home Depot. And, it's, you know, it's just like liquid. You pour it over the soil. If you could imagine in your heart, what is it that's going to cause the word of God to grow? What is it that creates an environment for holiness. What is it that creates an environment for you to grow spiritually? James says it's meekness and humility. So as we go after the evil and the wickedness and the sins inside of us, James says we douse our hearts in meekness. We douse our hearts in humility. And what happens when we do that? The Lord says we've created soil where his word can grow inside of us. So when there's sin, when there's evil, when there's we, um, wickedness inside of us, the word of God can't grow. 
Remember Jesus said that? He said the seed will start to grow, but, but those evil things, those evil weeds will start to choke the word out in the parable of the sower. So James says, get rid of those things, but if you want the word of God to grow inside of you as the worship team comes up, he says, and you got to have a spirit of humility, a spirit of meekness. What does this really look like? What does this mean? I love um, John Calvin, the theologian, said this. It's a spirit which says a simple yes to what the word of God teaches and commands. It's just a spirit that says a simple yes. It's when you come to the word of God every morning and, and you got your cup of coffee and you're listening, or you come to church and you're sitting and you're hearing the word of God preach, it's a spirit that says, Lord, whatever you say, the answer is yes. You know, pride says, I, I get to tell God when I'll obey and when I won't obey. Pride says, I'm going to dictate to God what I think is right and what I think is wrong or why I can't obey or I can't, right? Maybe we come in our lives and say, well, Lord, I know your word says forgive, but I can't forgive that person because A, B, C, or D. And the scripture says that's, that's a prideful response to the word of God, right? Maybe we come to the word and we say, well, Lord, I would obey, but I won't because of, or I can't because of, or we make excuses to the word. James says, the spirit which causes the word, word of God to grow, you want to douse your heart in the fertilizer from heaven? James says it comes with a, a humble and meek spirit that receives the word of God. Amen? And the last part of that is that the farmer in this example is you and I. And it's not somebody else that's meant to come in and pull up those weeds and cultivate that soil and douse you in, in fertilizer. You say, man, I know some people that have doused me in fertilizer. Maybe you feel that way. But James says, the farmer's you. That you come into your heart and you say, Lord, where are the weeds? Where are those hard, broken places? Where can I begin to change? What if the soil's our heart, the seed's the word of God, the weeds are the wickedness or the sins in our own life, the fertilizer is humility and meekness. And we're the farmer. James says that the sun and the water that's going to cause that seed to actually grow and bear fruit in your life is obedience. So you can get a seed in the soil and you can douse it actually in humility and meekness. I don't think it would happen because if you're really humble and meek, you're probably going to obey. But James really gets after it right here. This is where he says, even there, when you have the word of God and it's planted and you're ready, he says it's not over yet. You're not done. He says there's more. You cannot just hear the word, but now it's time to do what? It's time to obey the word. It's time to do it. Now I want to encourage us, brother and sister, as we receive the word in our hearts, James says it's not enough to just say it or sing it or, or think about it, but we have to do it. There's this posture of obedience that comes into our life. I read you that scripture already. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says, are you doing the word or are you just hearing it? You know, I began to study that word in Greek, doer, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to find something amazing and powerful. I was excited. Like, I'm going to bring this sermonic gem to the people. And you know what it is? There's nothing special about it. Absolutely nothing. It means do it. And I was like, come on, Lord, there's got to be something there. And there wasn't. There's not. It just means obey. When the Lord says, do this. Okay, Lord. You know, I think the best advice I've maybe ever got when it came to the Bible reading was this. Before you read it, when it's closed, pray this. Lord, 
My answer is already yes before you even ask. When I open up my Bible in the morning, I try to pray this every time. I just say, God, the answer is already yes. Now tell me what you want. Now that's scary, right? You ever had somebody like, hey, can you help me? Like, I don't know. What do you need, right? We all do that. I know you do. I saw this meme the other day that said, if you're over 35 and need to move, um, just hire the movers. All your friends are too old and don't want to throw their back out (laughs) for a free piece of pizza. (laughs) But your friend's like, do you need help? And you're like, are you asking me to give up my Saturday to move all your junk that you don't even need to keep anyway, you know? And we all say, tell me what it is, and then I'll give you my answer. But honestly, many of us approach the Word of God that way. You come in on Sunday morning and you think, oh, preacher, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. Let me see if I want to. We come to our Bible reading, and you go, well, if it's comfortable, I'll do it. If I want it, if I, if I feel like it. But James says, no, 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 no. We come with a posture of obedience. Now, there's times I read my Bible, and I just put my face in my hands, and I say, God, I don't know how to do it. God, it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too painful. But the answer is yes. Now, help me. I love St. Augustine. He said, Lord, command what you will, but give me strength to do what you command. The thing is, God, you've asked me to do impossible things. The answer is yes, but I can't do them without you. There's a posture of obedience. Now, James uses another object lesson. And he says, one person is foolish and one person is wise. And here's the object lesson he uses. Here's the mirror. Can you see how beautiful you are? I think that's actually the the magnifying sides. Maybe you actually can see yourself. Now, this is not mine. This is Sophie's. Thank you. I don't use this to get ready. Maybe that's why I look the way I look compared to James. James gives us an object lesson. He says there's two men. He says one is a foolish man. He says this man looks at his face in the mirror. And the word it uses is actually a good word. It says he's staring like with passion. This isn't just a little glance. It's saying, I'll read it to you so you believe me. It says, um, the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So this isn't just a looking. This man is staring at his face. Ladies, you probably do this. Is my makeup okay? Is there any spinach in my teeth? How do I look? Am I ready to go to church? Look at my best. And James says this man looks intently at his face and he sees there's something wrong, right? There's something stuck, you know, I had braces or there's always something stuck in your teeth, right? Or your breath is bad or your hair is messy. And James says the fool looks at himself and he sees the problem, but it says he goes away and he forgets. And James says, isn't that foolish? Like that you would look and see something that was wrong. You would look and see that there was, there was something on your face, something messy, something dirty, something out of place. And you would just, you knew it was there, but you walked away and didn't do anything about it. And James says, all of us know that that's really silly, right? All of us know that that's really foolish in a natural example. But James says, many of us, we do that with the Word. We look at the Word. And we realize there's something not right in me. There's something out of alignment with God. But we walk away and we think, well, at least I read it. I heard it, but James says the value isn't just that you heard it or you see that you have to do something with it. The value is that hearing and receiving led to doing. It led to obedience. And this is the heart of what we read those scriptures of what God has always wanted. Don't just hear my word. Don't just say, Lord, I read it. You know, some of us, we go, we think, well, I read the Bible this morning. Yes, I posted on Instagram. Go me. I'm amazing. I'm spiritual. And we think the value came just from the hearing. The value came just from the receiving. But James says, no. Did you do something? Did you obey it? Did something happen in your time with God that you heard something? That he spoke to you as you heard the word of God preached or you read it? And you say, I cannot just be a hearer. I will not look at my face spiritually and walk away. What does James say? The the wise man, the righteous man, it says he looks 
into the perfect law of liberty. He looks at it. And it says he doesn't even just look and go away. It says he perseveres in his looking. He looks and he looks and he looks. And the word of God is the mirror to our souls. He says, Lord, where do I, can I grow in holiness? Lord, where can I grow in purity? Lord, where can I grow in generosity? How can I serve those around me? And it says he perseveres and then he goes and does what he saw. So, you know, he says, Lord, you challenged me to go feed the hungry today. I'll go find somebody that's hungry and feed them. Lord, you challenged me to be more gracious and kind than your word, so I'm going to go be gracious and kind today. Lord, you convicted me of this sin, so I'm going to repent of this sin. I'm going to go to a brother or sister in my life and confess it to them. And I'm going to be different because of what I read. He says, that's wisdom. That's righteousness before God. And God says, this is where the blessing comes. The blessing comes to those who heard and received and do the word. I know that's hard, but it's good, and it's worth it. And this is where we come right back to where we started. James says, let me give you an example of what this looks like. He doesn't give us an extensive list. You know, the, if you want the whole list of what real religion looks like, read the Bible. It's a great book. But James says, let me just give you a snapshot of real religion, the thing that's pure and, and, and holy. He says, real religion... Let me read it for you. It's pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says real religion is inward holiness and purity and outward acts of grace and kindness and love. Doesn't it sound like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? James says real religion, I wrote, is internal sanctification, keeping ourselves unstained from the world, and external sanctification, loving and serving. You know, why does he say orphans and widows? Throughout the Bible, they're the supreme example of those who are helpless. You know, when, when you serve an orphan, when you serve a widow, they have no way to repay you in their society and even in our own. It's saying, I'm going to love and I'm going to serve when they have nothing to offer me. I'm not going to get any money. I'm not going to get any reward. It's going to cost me greatly to serve them. And James says, that's the kind of religion that pleases your father. Something that costs us. Something that takes a little bit of sacrifice. It says, I'm giving and I'm not going to receive anything back from this on this earth. It's saying, I'm going to care for someone that doesn't, that it's not like this reciprocal thing. Like, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Like, no, it's going to cost me everything to care for you, to sacrifice for you, to love you, and to serve you. And God says, you know what? That's what pleases me. It cost you something. It took some sacrifice. It took some obedience. And then James says, keeping ourselves unstained from the world, walking in holiness and purity. But do you know why this pleases God? Because this is who God our Father is. James told us earlier in verse 17 and 18 that God changes us through His Word, that God cares for those who are in need, and that God is holy and perfect. So the kind of religion that's pure to God, that pleases Him, is us becoming like our Heavenly Father. This whole section has been about how the Word of God changes us, and then God says, I want your words to change others, to be kind, to be gracious. In verse 17, it said that God, our Father, graciously provides all of our needs. And God says, I want you to graciously provide for other people's needs. And as we look at our Father in heaven who has no shadow, no change, who's absolutely holy and absolutely pure, He says, I want you to be like that. What is this pure and undefiled religion? It's becoming like our Heavenly Father. And as we look like Him, it pleases Him. Amen? I wrote this down. One ounce of true religion is better than a thousand pounds of the fake stuff. 
One ounce of the real thing is better than a thousand pounds of the fake stuff. Here's my challenge to you. Are you hearing and receiving and doing the word of God? It might be hard, but can I tell you, brother or sister, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it because it will bless you. But I think even more importantly, it's worth it because it's pure and undefiled before God. And here's where we're going to end. You know, the language that James uses, pure and undefiled, is the same language that the Old Testament uses for sacrifices before God. And just like in the Old Testament, you would prepare your lamb or your burnt offering and you would lay it on the altar and it would be burned up and it said it would be pure. It would be holy. It would bring great pleasure to God and it would make a way for you to have communion with God. James says, we don't offer bulls, we don't offer goats, we don't offer lambs, but you know what becomes our sacrifice? You know what becomes our offering? You know what becomes our worship that pleases our Father? He says, when our lives are living out pure and undefiled religion. When I come and I say, Lord, I'm going to keep myself unstained from the world. I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm going to walk in purity. And Lord, I'm going to give myself to serving orphans and serving widows and caring for those who are in need. And God, I'm going to guard my mouth and I'm going to use my words to love and serve and build up. James says, there's something better than a, a bull, something better than a lamb, something better than a goat. Your life becomes that offering which is pleasing before God your Father. This is that pure and undefiled religion. This is why I love religion and I love Jesus. I love pure and undefiled religion and I love Jesus. Because the scripture says that Jesus Christ offered himself up as a perfect and spotless lamb. Language sound familiar to you? And Jesus would lay himself down on an altar in the shape of a cross and they would nail his hands in that cross they put a crown of thorns on his head and he would offer up his life as a sacrifice to God. And the greatest act of pure and undefiled holy religion before God our Father was when Jesus gave his life for us. He shed his blood to wash us from our sins, to cleanse us. And we look at that and we go, that's beautiful, is it not? That's holy, that's pure. And you know what that is? That's pure and undefiled religion. That's the thing I want to give the rest of my life to. That's the thing I want to lay my life down for, saying, God, I want to follow my Savior. I want to be like you, Heavenly Father, pure and undefiled religion that brings you great glory. And how do we do it? It's every day, hearing and doing and receiving and doing the word. Amen? Could you close your eyes? I'm going to pray for us. You know, every week we give an opportunity for those who have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, to be saved. And every week we celebrate with those that receive salvation. If you're here this morning, Jesus died on that cross to save you from your sins, to offer you eternal life but he rose again. And this morning, if you say, it's my day, I need salvation. I need a new life. I need Jesus to wash me and cleanse me and make me pure. The Bible says if you call on his name, he'll save you. And if you're in this place, if you say, I want to call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, just lift your hand and we're gonna pray for you this morning. We just want to pray with you and celebrate with you. Awesome, I see that hand. Anybody else in this place? If you're here, you say, today's my day. I want to turn from my sin. I want to trust in Jesus. Awesome. I see that hand. Come on, praise God, church. Can we just pray all together with those that are making that decision? Say, dear Lord, thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you, Jesus, that your life was that holy and pure sacrifice that washes me and cleanses me. You're my Lord and you're my God. Save me now. 
I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.